Well, good morning, everybody. How are we? Do you feel like me? Like, okay, need a little boost energy this morning, right? Do we need to stand up and do like arms? No, just kidding. Uh, but uh, Hebrews chapter number 12 is where we are going to be this morning. Hebrews chapter number 12. Um, we've been talking about what it looks like to be the church and looking at the let us statements. They're in the book of Hebrews. So the first day we had uh, the statement of let us consider how we may stir one another up to love and good works. And I hope maybe even in the last 48 hours, there's been some times you went, I got to consider how to stir somebody up to love and good works, uh, to encourage them. And then yesterday, uh, we talked about we can't live in the good old days and how uh, we are looking unto Jesus, uh, the author and the finisher of our faith. So the Bible says, let us lay aside every sin and weight that so easily besets us or entangles us, uh, and let us look unto Jesus. So this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to talk about worship. And some of you, this makes you really exciting. And some of you are like, are we talking about music this whole time? No, okay, we're talking about worship. So Hebrews chapter 12 verse 28 says, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Flip over a page, Hebrews 13, 15. Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. In Hebrews, what do we see? Worship is about team worship. We're called as a team together. It says, not let you, let me, let us. This is a group thing where we're called, let us worship the Lord and we see over and over again that the church is this body called together to serve and to worship and to do good work so in Ephesians chapter 12 it talks about or excuse me there's no Ephesians 12 it's Ephesians chapter 4 I was making sure if you guys were with me this morning nobody raised their hand excuse me excuse me what Bible is that Ephesians 4 verses 12 through 16 talks about the whole body, the church being joined together to be equipped to do good works. And I love, it says this, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It talks about the church as this body, this machine that God has gifted all of us, and when we are serving and, and, and letting us come together and serve and, and, and to uh, worship together, it is a beautiful thing, and we watch the body grow. But as I read this, again, it comes back to there is team worship, to be ready to worship. It reminds me, a few years ago, uh, I coached the local high school team. Uh, I was a basketball coach for some years, ba a baseball coach, coached freshman baseball for five years. And uh, I'll never forget, so our team, we're playing, we would always play double headers. And so our team, uh, we weren't doing great, but, you know, we, it, but in this game, it was all right. And I remember uh, I had to make some substitutions. So I subbed this kid in, this kid in, and it got to be about the fifth inning of the second game. And so I made this sub, and I was at the bench, and I said, hey, I need you to go here. And I looked at the other, another kid, and I said, hey, I need you to go play uh, first base or this position. And he looked up at me, and he went, oh, I'm sorry, coach. I've already put my flip-flops on. I'm, I can't play.
And it was just that thing like, excuse me? And I, I was like, you know, back in my day, you know, I did, you know, like, in, we do that, the good old days. But I was like, what do you mean you put, you've already checked out. You've already, you're like, you're done. He didn't go in the game. I'm like, you've taken your cleats off. You've put your flip-flops on and you're, you're done. You're not, you're not engaged. You're not a part of this. You've, you've given up to be a part of this team. In church, other times we've just put on our flip-flops. Instead of saying, hey, this is an us thing. This is us loving one another. This is an us looking to Jesus. This is an us worshiping together and praising the Lord together to give him acceptable worship. This beautiful team that we're called to. Now, whenever we talk about worship, we instantly go to music, don't we? So who in here, you, you are music people. Like, you're like in the, in the gathering, like, let's have 48 songs. Hope that pastor preaches about five minutes. We can sing another 13 songs. <laughs> who is that in here? That's who you are. Uh-huh. Yep. And who in here, like, you are hymns, like, are your thing. Who in here, hymns are your thing. You love it. Who in here are like, no, no, I'm more 90s. I like the choruses. Anybody? And some of you are like, I like that, and I like that one, and I like this one. So some of you are like, yes, I like 1967 hymn music. And some of you are like, no, I like 1867 music. All right? Right? And, and it's scripture and, and verses and singing it. And some of you who likes the new stuff, go ahead. You're like the new the hymns are, okay, they're good. I don't understand half of the words they're saying. That Ebenezer one throws me off every single time. Uh-huh. But the new stuff, it's interesting how worship can turn to selfishness real quick, though, isn't it? So in our church uh, at, at uh, my location, we have two gatherings. And there's great kind of, do you have different worship, different music? So at, we have an 8 o'clock gathering where we, we sing hymns. Um, we have, uh, there are some older people, they love it. And I love gathering with them. My wife loves the hymns. She plays piano every, every Sunday, 8 o'clock. And it's, it's a wonderful time. And then 10.30 is a, a, a contemporary gathering. And so as a staff, uh, a couple months ago, we, we gathered and started to talk about just what are things good going on, what are things bad going on, go ahead and share. And so one of the younger ladies, the young adults shared, and she, just go, she said, I just don't understand why we have to separate the old and the young. And I was like, this is, this is good. Like, to separate them is, and, and she goes, why, why do we have to have a, a, a eight o'clock, why don't we just have the gathering and the older people can come to the, this gathering and we can join together and her heart was I so want to be with the older people that that's something and and she said why don't they just come to our gathering and I looked at her and go why don't you just go to their gathering and for her she was good but it was all of a sudden worship goes well why don't they come to where I'm at why don't they do the kind of worship I like why do, and when I talk about worship, I'm talking about the little niche of worship that's music. But it is amazing how our worship can become selfish. And we're all different. Some of you in here, let's be honest, like three songs, you are maxed out, all right? I would have you raise your hand and be like, be sure I'm not allowed to do that. I wouldn't tell anybody that I'm three songs, but I am three songs maxed out. 
me who am little attention deficit disorder, like, like for me, like to do, after like four songs, I am like, okay, I need something, something else got to change because I got to get my focus somewhere else. But, but we're different, right? But this worship, we're, we're called as a team to worship. So what does the Bible tell us when it says, let us worship together? What is the saying? So in Hebrews 12, this is beautiful, Hebrews 12, 18. Right before that, that passage that says, let us be grateful, or let, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. That's verse 28. And let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. This passage is so beautiful, but you have to understand what's taking place before that really helps us understand the full meaning. In verse 18, 12, 18, it says, for you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. For even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. So these couple verses, if you just jump into Hebrews and you read that, you go, I have no clue what's happening. And for me, like you read there, you go, what, a blazing fire, darkness, gloom, what is it talking about? In this passage, it's talking about two mountains. Here at the beginning, it's talking of, now remember Hebrews speaking to Jewish people who have come to know the Lord. They are now in conflict because there are those who do not follow Jesus, who are calling these Jews out. They are telling them, you are traitors, you've betrayed God, you don't follow the Lord, you're going to hell. Like this is, they are receiving persecution, not just from, you know, the pagans, the Romans. They are receiving persecution from the Jewish people who say, no, we follow the Old Testament. Jesus is not the Messiah. Here in Hebrews, they have come to follow Jesus. They have, Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament. So when you read Hebrews over and over and over again, it takes you back to the Old Testament and says, hey, see here, what's that speaking of? Jesus. See here, what's that speaking of? Sacrifice, what it's pointing to? Jesus, the high priest, who's it pointing to? Jesus, over and over again. And it's beautiful. And this is why studying the Old Testament is so important. That's why we stay, like, studying the Word of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I told you, I told you we've been studying the book of Revelation. If you don't study the Old Testament with the book of Revelation, good luck. Because the Old Testament, John, as led by the Spirit, he is just, wow, he's just speaking what it says in the Old Testament is going to happen, and, and it's, this is what he's saying here. So it helps us. Same thing in Hebrews. And here, when it speaks of this, this um, darkness and fire, it is pointing to Mount Sinai. It's pointing to Moses. So in Exodus chapter 19, you don't have to turn there. I mean, you can if you want to, but Exodus 19, 18, and 20. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke went up like the smoke. Um, I have a typo in my, did anybody turn there? But the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God 
answered him in thunder. And the Lord came down on the Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. Here we have the power of God comes down. And it is terrifying. Right? Here, trembling and shaking. There were a point they said, don't, don't have God speak to us. Moses, you speak to us because we see this. And just to have the glimpse of the power and the holiness, the mountain, we are terrified. And this is when Moses comes down and gives them Gives them the law. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, you see Mount Sinai. You see the power of God. You see the consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And in this, what was it to do? It instilled a proper fear of of God. I believe this mountain is so important for us in worshiping God. Because to worship God, there must be an awe, a fear of who he is. Now, that doesn't mean we have a fear of the wrath of God, but because of Jesus, right? We don't have to face the wrath of God. But when we see God, there should be this awe and this fear that God is big and I am not. God is holy. And so Moses comes down. What does he do? He gives them the Ten Commandments. What does the Ten Commandments do? It is a mirror to go, God is holy and perfect and righteous. And you, uh, commandment one. Yeah, nope, didn't follow that one. Commandment two. Nope. That, four, five, six. And we go, man, I am a breaker of all the commandments. God is holy and righteous. And what the Ten Commandments do is they point us back to God and His holiness. They ultimately show us we fall short. And so to stand in fear of God is so important. Years ago, um, my wife and I were at a... Um, we were at a uh, open house. In the open house, we were like, okay, we ate our food, said hi to everybody, and started to walk. We had to park up the street. There was another church at the corner. And we walked up the street. And as we were walking to our car, we looked up and, and we thought, and that is some dark clouds rolling in here. And it, it hadn't rained at all, but we just looked and you go, there are some, those are some really fierce looking clouds. And we kept walking up the road trying to get to, to our uh, car and and we and I you could look and see you're like those clouds are bringing some massive rain that is coming our way and you could it wasn't like a light like you looked off and go oh it's coming like you could just see like this is a heavy so we're like and we're just kind of like okay let's hurry trying to get to our so we get into our car and shut the door and it's like monsoon like just pours. And all of a sudden, the wind picks up in a way I had never seen the wind before. Now, I was always one of those guys, like, you hear tornado sirens, you, like, go to the window. Oh, where's it at? <laughs> you see it over there? 
hey, let's go get in the car. We'll go, you know, we'll be storm chasers. Let's go see what, but maybe that, like, go in the, we're not going to the basement. I want to see if, if, if any of you that way, like, you're like, but, mm-hmm, yeah, let's see. I want to see the funnel. There goes the cow. I want to see that happening. <laughs> it only happens in the thumb. In the city, it doesn't happen. Somebody's dog or something. But that's, I always, my wife and I are sitting in the car and the wind just begins to blow in. And there's a church that was about a two-story building. And all of a sudden, this big piece of metal comes flying off the top of the building. And I'm like, what in the, and it, it, it slams into the side of our car, right? My wife's door was here and it literally it just slammed a hole, dented the whole side of her car. And the wind is blowing, again, like I've never seen it before. And, and I just think, I, I have to get home. I was two blocks from home. I'm like, we got to get home. So I pull out right at that corner. I mean, the, the lights are just, I mean, just crazy swinging. We turn down our road, and two trees do this. They fall on an uh, electrical line, and that electrical line explodes like over top of us, and we can't. So trees here, I can't go this way. I'm like, we have to get home. I turn around a driveway and pull into a neighborhood trying to get through the sub to get to our house. We turn down the street. A tree is across the road. We can't go. I turn down the street. A tree is across the road, and I can't go. I have to go all the way out to M59, come all the way around to get to my house. And it was in that moment I went, I'm little. I think I'm pretty strong and tough. But you think about the storm like, I'm nothing in that. Trees are falling down everywhere. Electrical line exploding. And I have this picture, I can do it all, I can take care of it. And you're just humbled in the storm to go, I am smaller than that. And here's the picture of Mount Sinai and the worship to God. Is when we bow down in awe to God. Because we are really good at going, I'm big. But we need to be humbled. And our worship is looking at this mountain going, no God, you are big. You are holy. I, the thunder and the power and the might of God, what takes us to worshiping together is when we have an awe of God and his holiness and power. And that's what Proverbs talks about in that fear and trembling. It's not that we're scared of the wrath of God. But you do see every time somebody gets a glimpse of heaven in the Bible, they fall to their feet and or they fall to their knees in terror because of the holiness and goodness of God. And so that's what it looks like here. We see this mountain. And he is speaking to the Hebrew people saying, hey, you know that mountain and you, there was, you were trembling in fear and you didn't even want God to speak. Like, Moses, you just speak. You need to know of that mountain. One author said, the purpose of Sinai was to bring the people face to face with their own sinfulness no place to hide. The law is God's great mirror. When we look at it and we see ourselves, we really are immeasurably short of God's standard of righteousness. 
There's not a single commandment that we have kept perfectly or can keep perfectly in act or attitude. But then the author goes on and speaks of another mountain. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirit of righteous made perfect. Verse 24, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What is happening? A new mountain. The heavenly Jerusalem pointing to Jesus and what he did, right, points to the sprinkled blood because here they keep thinking back, the sacrifice that is called for and it brings us back and that's what the, they, they were ridiculed with. You have to sacrifice. You have to keep bringing the animal of sacrifice. And here the writer goes, no, Jesus is the sacrifice. His sprinkled blood fulfills it all it was all those sacrifices were showing there need to be a perfect sacrifice and that was Jesus years ago when I was seven years old I went to the state of Washington my brother lived there again I was seven years old and uh, 85 miles away was Mount Rainier any of you ever been there before It's unbelievable. Even to this day, I don't know how many years ago, a long time ago, 35 years ago? Yeah, carry the one? Yeah, all right. 35 years ago, that image of that mountain coming up out in, I mean, just into the air, into the sky, being 85 miles away, it still is ingrained looking at that mountain. And for me, I think about in worship, to truly worship the Lord, we have to see both mountains. We see the holiness of God and we see the grace and goodness of Jesus. It's combined in wonderful worship. Because if we come to God with a flippant worship like, yep, Jesus loves me, I'm good, and don't come in awe, we're missing what worship is. But if we come to God in terror and fear and not leaning and knowing the amazing love of Jesus, we don't, knew, we don't know true worship that way either. It's, it's seeing both of the mountains. 2 Corinthians 5.21, speaking about Mount Zion, Jesus the Bible says, for our sake he made him who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Philippians 3.20 says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and as you read in this and it speaks of the kingdom and it speaks of the heavenly Jerusalem, we know one day Christ is coming back and he will set his earthly kingdom here. And it's wonderful. I mean, such a joy. One day, Jesus comes and he will rule 
right? The curse of this world will be lifted. Man, no more sickness. Things will change and Jesus reigns. How wonderful to know that, right? But now we are still now a part of that kingdom. Yes, his earthly rule is not here, but we now, because of Jesus, our citizenship is in that kingdom, right? We, we know Christ, and that's as we're studying Matthew chapter 5, to be a part of the kingdom, this kingdom living that we're called to, that we know Jesus is going to come and he's going to reign, but we now, as citizens of that kingdom, are called the kingdom living now. We're called to worship God now. It's a beautiful thing. So Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us, another let us statement, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. What is the writer needing to do? Many of them just see one mountain and they're terrified. We can't come to God. We're ter- we, we can't. And he says, no, see Jesus and receive the mercy and grace that he offers. That's what leads us to true worship. It's what destroys the fake worship. Because whether we're serving him with our mouth or with our actions, it moves to glorify him. It moves to give him the praise. And that takes us to 28. It says, let us therefore be Be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Again, this is amazing. Everything else is going to be shaken. The galaxies and the stars that we create, they're all going to shake. He will make a new heaven and a new earth. And he says, let us come receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because we know Christ, like we have this firm foundation future. It's not going to be shaken. And that leads us, says, thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. What does that look like? Reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. It's beautiful. That's what worship has to be. See the two mountains. And then when we get to chapter 13, I believe it shows us the practical. And I, some people call me the practical pastor because I love the application. Like, what does that look like for us? I'd love to see what, what does it mean, but what's the practical? Verse 13, or excuse me, verse 15. But read verse 13. It's an interesting let us. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp. We got to leave. No, all right, verse 15. Through him, then let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. Well, what is that? That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. That is, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. Here is the practical worship. How does God call us to worship? One, worship is the fruit of our lips. We are to speak praises to God. The music thing we do is not just a culture thing. 
to read the scripture out loud, to pray with each other. The Bible calls us to speak those praises out loud. The speaking is important. We see it throughout the Bible. The Bible says, Jesus says, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before God. Romans 10 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. The Bible says we are to use our lips to praise him. So some of you are singing and you love it. And so it comes easier. Now, some of you are singing in love because you like people to hear you sing, and that's a different thing. But to sing praises to the Lord. And some of you aren't, right? You, the, the singing thing, like you, you like to be ninjas in church, right? The, the singing gets done, the pastor prays, and there you are. I am there for the word of God. It gets done preaching. Last song, I am gone. I would say that's not healthy either, right? Learning to praise the Lord. My dad was such an example of this to me. One, in whistling. My dad would whistle hymns to the Lord, all the, wouldn't he? All the time. I have wonderful memories of waking up Sunday mornings and hearing my dad getting ready and just singing praises to God. So beautiful. But he would acknowledge Christ by his lips and he would worship him. I think we need that challenge. Sometimes we go into worship, we're like, okay, I gotta get through this. And I know that's not for all of you, but for me, that is sometimes. Right? And to look and go, man, how, how do I praise the Lord today with my lips? How do I do that? And that's not just through singing. Do, do you praise him with your lips, with your family, right? Do your kids hear it? Do you talk with your son and your daughter and say, hey, let's praise the, how can we praise the Lord today? How do we think, do they, do they hear you praying to the Lord, giving thanks? They need to see that. They need to see that example. Here the Bible says, use our lips, the glory of our lips. Other verses like uh, Ephesians 5, 19. The Bible says, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're, how we're called to worship. So maybe it's a challenge. You need to, your prayers need to move from asking God for stuff and moving to God thanking him and praising him, and just sitting in a time, and maybe some of you are journals, journaling, hey, Lord, I just want to thank you for this. I want to praise you for this. You turn to your family and go, hey, what do we have to be thankful for today? Instead of the, the dinner time meal is the same thing you pray every time, every the three seconds to get done. You take the time and go, man, we are thankful for this. That's, that's what, you know, stopping to pray, at the, but what is it? Thank you, God. Thank you for your blessing. Colossians 3, 16 and 17. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God 
the Father through him. This is the team worship we're called to. This, this public confession about how good God is. And then in Hebrews, it's not just the words of our lips. It is then the action and how we live. <clears throat> it says, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to the Lord. Worship is our words and our works. It is what we do. We worship him by what we do. That's in the church and how we serve and that's at our work on Thursday at two o'clock. We worship him. James 1.27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Last night, a man showed up here, an 83-year-old man. His name's Mike, and uh, Mike is a huge blessing to my life. I don't think my son's ever met Mike, and so I brought him in. I took a selfie picture with Mike, and I, I said, son, this was Papa's right-hand man at the church. This was a man that was selfless and served and did whatever was needed at the church. In that little church on, on the corner of Heist and 25, he was a man that I watched that said, how can I serve the Lord and praise him? And I watched his heart over and over again. I would watch him weep as kids would come because he'd be so excited for people to hear about Jesus. He's, he's never, since I've been had great health, but whatever he could do, he would do. He would serve in our large youth group at the church of me and me. <laughs> he would teach Sunday mornings, would I say it was even as gifting? No, but he goes, does somebody need to serve? Is there a place that's empty? Is there a place that I can step into? And he would step into that spot. And he is a man who blesses me greatly. And I saw him out there, I was preaching. It just brings great joy to me. But he worshiped the Lord through serving. Whatever it took, whatever was needed, he would do it. He was a true deacon at the church a deacon, a servant, whatever it took. 1 John 3.17 says, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And what is this saying? We can't just say it. We have to live it. Worship as if we come together in team worship and serve together. Some of my favorite times of the year at the church is when we do these large events, like we have an egg hunt where, where we are blessed that the community knows about it, and so we have thousands of people that come, and we do a trunk or treat, and, and, and it takes a crew of people in the church to serve. It is a heavy lift, and after to clean up and to tear down, and it's, we do it on Saturday, and uh, the next, to get everything ready for the next day, I love it, because it's all the church together. We're just serving together, and we're tired, and it's wonderful, and it's just like, man, just looking at what the Lord has done, and it's just this wonderful tiredness of serving together. I would encourage you, if you don't know that, 
Like if you don't have a church where you're like, how do I have team worship? You need to find it. To find a place where you can go, hey, the Lord has given me gifts and talents and I have things that I'm not talented in, but I sure can pick up a hammer, I can do this, and I'm just here to serve like Mike. If you don't have that church where you do that, I, I believe you're missing out because it's team worship. It's doing it together. It's serving, as, as Ephesians says, as God has given gifts to each of the body. When each one of them comes together, the church grows and it's beautiful. That's why the church is so important. It's team worship. Now flip over me to Romans chapter 12. See, in 13 it says, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. And that word sacrifice, I believe, probably triggered some thoughts for most of the readers. Because, again, they're so ingrained in the Old Testament. Okay, sacrifices. Here now the writer goes, no, no, there's a living sacrifice. You're, you're, as Romans chapter 12, a very famous passage of Scripture the Bible says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship, as the KJV says, or other translations, which is your spiritual worship. I like the, I like the KJV, uh, as it put it. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the basic will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So here that practical worship, the sacrifice that we are called to. One author puts it into these three categories. He says, here's the, the, the basics of what we're called to that he urges us and it isn't like a like a kind of sort you should do this like hey if we know the lord if you see the two mountains if you see the holiness of god and the grace that he gives through his son jesus this is reasonable work this makes sense if if christ saved you this is how we should live And then it gives us, it says this is what it should be, and then it tells us the character of our worship. It says to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. The characters of worship are living, holy, and set apart for God. It isn't a halfway commitment. Here Paul even says, if we know Christ is our Savior, he doesn't put it in these terms, but we are crazy to, to give God half worship. Like, if he saved us, this is how, this is what the response should be. This character of holy and set apart and a living sacrifice with our lives. And then you get the second verse that gives us the demands of that worship. Right, this is what it should look like. This is the character of worship. Then the demands of worship. The demands are don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. One preacher put it this way, we can't find the Lord's will in the world's agenda. 
So the demands are, we can't be conformed to the thinking of this world. We must allow God to transform us. 2 Corinthians 3.18, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we look and go, is, is the world what is directing me? Or am I, am I being conformed to the, to the world? The Bible says we, we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That if we allow God to transform us, okay, this takes me back to the Beatitudes of going, God, I'm poor in spirit. God, I'm mourning over sin. God, you take me and give me this meekness, this strength. You give me this hunger. You, you give me this merciful attitude. And all that comes from the Lord, right? We can't like, act like a Christian until we are a Christian. Why? Because we don't have the strength to do it. It is from the power of the Lord. It is from the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to do that. Gives us the strength. So it's not just, I've got to try harder. It's, a, Lord, I need to give in to your strength. So team worship. What is it? Worship is looking at two mountains. And then worship is by our lips and is by our actions. So I'm going to have us break off in groups. I know some of you love this. But break off in groups and a, and a couple things I want you to do. Um, what things can you praise God about? Just to get together in a group and, and to do what the Bible says. Hey, what do you have to be thankful for? What are things you just, man, I just want to praise God for this. And just as a group, or a couple of you, three, four of you, get together and just go, let's just praise God. How can we praise God and worship him? And then maybe share a little bit more personal. Is there a way that you feel stuck in your worship? That you feel convicted about? Maybe there's, there's something you feel like, I feel stuck here. Maybe the group can help you or, or maybe you can go, I, I see what I need to do. And then just take some time praying in team worship and praising the Lord and seeking him. Okay? All right, have fun.